2: Hi, friends. I am so excited for today's episode because, for the first time in Tigris history, I have two guests, and you're never ever going to believe who they are um, because. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually am the oldest of three girls. I have two little sisters, um, and it's kind of like this top secret in my life. Um, I'm totally fucking kidding. My whole TikTok has been uh, being obsessed with my sisters the last few weeks, and I'm really excited because we've had the most wonderful weekend together, and they're here with me in the DCP studios today, um, and we're going to be talking about all the things from friendship to disordered eating later today, and just kind of talking about what our relationship has become after almost a decade of being sisters. Um, so here I have Amaya and Issa with me. Say hi. Hi.
3: Hi.
2: How are you feeling?
3: I think it's been more than a decade that
4: we've
2: <laughs> been sisters. Oh, a not a decade. <laughs> Two decades. Two decades. Because you're, you're almost- I'm almost 19. You're almost 19. Mm-hmm. Amaya, how old are you? 22. Oh my God, I'm almost
4: Almost, almost 22.
2: Almost 22. Um, so I want to take some time to talk about our relationships because I think that- Obviously, our relationship has totally changed over the last two decades, and I feel like right now we're in a really healthy spot of our relationship, and you can totally disagree with me on this, but I feel like we've been in a pretty healthy spot and really becoming friends, and I think that we've always been friends throughout our life, but now that we're a little bit more grown and Issa's almost drinking age, um, we've been able to really have that glamorous New York City life that I think we grew up dreaming about. Um, And as y'all know, my last year has also been realizing how introverted I am and a homebody and leaning into that and not having a lot of a social life and friends and really leaning into my sister relationships. So I want to first start off by asking y'all how you would define friendship, like in general.
3: Our relationships, like, as sisters, I mean, my last year, this past year, has been me, the opposite, coming out of, like, being an introvert and in my healing process and becoming an extrovert and discovering, like, how I make friends and how I socialize. And I think that that transition for me has been really, really difficult, but, like, the fact that you – that. Like us three and our family has been able to do so much therapy and so much work together that I've been able to kind of discover how to socialize like outside of my family with friends at school and stuff like that. So like kind of the opposite of you.
2: So you're learning to make friends at age 19.
3: Shut
4: up. Okay.
2: Okay, And what does that look like? Do you feel like you have a lot of friends now? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Amaya, what about you? What does
4: friendship mean to you? Uh, it's pretty broad. I mean, I I I never really struggled with you know I, I've always been a I I would like to say an extreme extrovert. I was always picking up random people, you know, on Coney Island. <laughs> like kind any, anywhere I went, I always ended up like at least in my mind making friends. As I go. And so I would if I have one conversation with someone, I'm like, oh, we're like best friends now. Like, that's my friend. Um, And so I've had to think about it a lot. Like, who are my actual friends? Because I think everyone's my friend. Right. And um, I've recently kind of come to this broad definition of like, who do I want there? Like in all my moments of my life where like I don't necessarily need to I could be alone. You know, who do I want there with me? Um, And anyone kind of included in that circle, I would say, is like a friend to me.
3: Well, I mean, earlier you said that we've always been friends, but that's not necessarily true. Like, we I feel like growing up, we were sisters. Like, we had the very stereotypical, like, sister fights and things like that. And at times, you guys have talked about how you guys, like, have hated each other.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, whereas, a man I didn't I mean, talk. Also,
3: on TikTok, we have all these comments being like, oh, I wish I had a relationship like, like this. No, I don't. wish I had, like, two sisters. <laughs> oh, my God. Can I trade yeah. a brother for one of your sisters? And all these comments. Are taking applications? Whereas, like... I feel like it took us so much therapy to get to where we are in terms of our relationship. It took us so much personal work, so much like interdynamic work in between myself and Amaya, you guys, us and our mom, and things like that in terms of us being able to travel together and be able to talk about deep issues and deep relationships that we have outside of our family. So honestly all the things that we put on social media and all of these fun sister videos, like it took us so long to get to where we are. And I'm so proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> like well, that's friendship is that we worked so hard to yeah. like be able to stay together.
2: Well, and I think that, yeah, I think what we put on social media now isn't fake. It's like very no, real, but I think that it's kind of the icing on the very mumbo jumbo yeah. cake of yeah. like all the shit that we went through, kind of, you know, and as you mentioned, it hasn't always been like this. I mean, the few times ago um, on this podcast, we talked about how me and I didn't talk for like eight years. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like our relationship growing up was very stereotypical, sister. And in a way, especially with me and Issa being five years younger than me, you, I think I looked at you more like a kid or yeah. like honestly like a pet rather than like a I equal. At you like a mom. Yeah. And you looked at me like a parent. And I think that there was definitely a lot of work that had to be done, you know, to get to where we are right now. And then I think that there was also this phase of our life where it was kind of coexisting, right? It was like, yeah, we, was gonna, yeah trauma, bonded. We, trauma bonded. And it was like, we live together, but that's kind of the extent of it. I see you at meals um, or we're fighting. Uh, I think that there were a few years uh, where a man and I were only ever fighting about clothes. And yep. that was like our only con- conversation. Um But yeah i'm curious to know about y'all like how did you think about our sister relationship or bond as children
3: i think yeah you're right a lot of it was trauma bonding a lot of it was protecting each other i mean when i was scared like, you guys had to hold me, and when, and vice versa, when you guys had eating disorder triggers or things like that, I had to look after you, I had to do suicide watch for EMEA for years, and so all of these things, like, really trauma bonded us, which at the same time tore us apart, like you just said, for, like, several years, we didn't talk, or actually, I was kind of the bridge between you two, and that was really difficult for me, um, And then, especially with this past year, I think getting disowned brought us a lot closer. I mean, our sister chat has been blowing up since we got disowned, since Indiana, since coming home. Um, I feel like we're always just kind of checking in on each other, and I feel like we understand each other a lot more after that experience, especially since we grew up without a lot of extended family, that one experience really kind of triggered a a new sense of trauma bonding. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I don't know. I feel like that was a really big transition for us too.
4: What about you, Mia? I mean, while Issa was talking, I was thinking about how, how so much of all of our lives was characterized by extreme code switching depending <laughs> on, yeah. Depending on the family we were surrounded by, depending on the city we we're in, depending on the tension um, or the emotional state of either of our parents. And so while that was confusing for each of us individually, then like how does that change each of our dynamic, right? Like there's a relationship between two of us, but when there's a trio, there's so many other opportunities for like collision and bonding, right? Like it's like, I think there's a joke with the three siblings is like, oh, one of them is always left out, right? And sometimes it's classically the middle, but other times like that's not necessarily true, right? There's always like FOMO happening at some point because – you can only only kind of talk to one person at a time. Which has changed say. a
3: lot since we've grown together. Yeah. And so I think I our mean, relationship
4: has changed so much because there's so much just coding that was yeah. happening when all we the time. When you were younger, it
3: was a lot worse, especially because you had undiagnosed BPD <laughs> and you had an eating disorder and, and a lot of anger and at and me. And a lot of anger. And I think both of you and myself just had a lot going on personally and so the closest people we had was the two other people and like that just caused a lot of triangulation that we had to kind of grow out of as we've grown older which I think we've done I mean you have meds now you have therapy I
4: have therapy I like I mean I think the number one thing in my opinion that has completely changed our relationship and shaped it in many forms is the way that competition and like the role of competition in our lives and also in our relationship with each other in relation to each other has changed a lot. And it's something that we only recently have, like, what is it, like, aware worked wise? Yeah, worked through. Um, where like it's, we're, like, it's—we're not— if we're, we feel like competition something we talk about now.
2: I feel like it's kind of an Asian family thing, too. Like, it's very cultural that this— you, we, like, we're kind of com- programmed to compete with each other to be more successful, do better in school. And I think that, especially as an oldest, I think that I— and I've talked about this before on the podcast, I grew up with this pressure of feeling like I had to be the best and that I was setting the standard for what y'all needed to reach or surpass. And I think that in many ways, you know, from the parenting dynamic all the way to you guys having the same teachers that I did of like me setting an expectation. And I think that set up this kind of unhealthy dynamic where for me, I felt like I had to be the best uh, specifically at school and academics and I think that what's super interesting is that, I mean, you're definitely the most extroverted. And, um, I think that for me, like I remember always being really jealous about the fact that you had a social life and real friends because I did not have that. But for me, I was like, but I have academic success. Right. And, um, Yeah, I think, Issa. going back to what you were saying, too, about the getting disowned this year, to me, that was not only a big moment of, I think, going through through something together and coming out the other side more more bonded together, whether it's trauma (laughs) bonding or not. But to me, that was actually a really big moment where I think I saw you as a full grown adult. Because, yeah, it was so wild. And a man, I've talked about this, but I think when we went through trauma when we were younger you were like my baby like Issa was my, I felt like, our, and whether or not anybody told this to me, you were my responsibility. And we are, we have a five-year age gap. So for me, I think I always looked at Amaya like my little sister, but I looked at Issa like my child. Because, which made me extremely jealous. Yeah, which Amaya was really jealous of because Amaya, Amaya was like my baby before. And then, you know, yeah. what we had Issa. But I think that, you know, especially when our parents were always fighting, I always viewed Issa as like the thing that I had to literally hold on to. And in a lot of the pictures of us growing up, I'm holding Issa like, like yeah. I'm literally picking you up all the time. I was always carrying you and I think that for me I always was holding a man's hand but picking up Issa. and I think that what's crazy is that a man I I think being older have a lot of a lot more conscious memories of a lot of the shit we went through when we were really young and it had the effect of to us of having you know, borderline personality disorder, anxiety, depression, disordered eating, eating disorders. And then Isa, who, you know, you were also very much affected by it, but I think that at a young age, we're less consciously understanding what was yeah. happening, then became the caretaker of us as we were kind of reaching the, yeah. the pinnacle of us dealing with a lot of the trauma after effects. And then I think that as a man, I have healed, but I also think do get triggered by family issues because it is reminiscent of that time when we got disowned a man and I were sitting triggered in the car shaking
4: not getting out of the car uh like so,
3: so
2: disassociated so disassociated I, mean,
4: I appreciated I mean Issa we sat in the car eating Japanese food and listened to your podcast of it and we we're really disowned. and we we're so nervous because we we're like oh shit like what is Nadia gonna say like how is she gonna represent this and we both like held each other and were crying at the end because it felt so truthful. And one of my biggest takeaways was your breakdown of our different trauma responses.
2: Well, and, and it was very true. It was like you, me and Amea were sitting in the car. Um, and I think for me, I was dissociated, but I was also kind of like, where are my sisters? And yeah. we just need to get out of here. And Amea was-, was
3: not my response. I know, but Amea yeah. was zoned out. Oh, response no. was like, oh, hell no. You are yeah. not going to talk to us like that. But, and Seeing Nadia, seeing you completely like so scared- And frozen was really angering for me, especially, I think, because, yeah, because growing up when I was scared and when I was frozen, you held me. And so I, like, always turn to you when I'm kind of in a triggered state. But at this point, seeing you like that made me so, like, that triggered my response of, being like, this generational trauma is not going to go past us. Like, we're not going to bring this on to our children. Our daughters are not, our, our children are not going to feel this from, like, the men in our, you know, in our family and from Agun. And so, yeah, when you guys were sitting in the car, I was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> I got out of the car and then Agun came out waving his fist and his, like, flinging his, like, spit flying everywhere and his finger waving in my face and just, like, pointing at me like an inch from my nose and just, you know, yelling all these random facts about conditional love, Chinese values, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be Chinese, you know, things that We are not, or things that we are, but in a different way, Asian American. And so I just had this like immediate reaction to not protect, but just like I felt like all of the generation of women that couldn't speak up, like I just felt all of that energy. And I was just, you know, I held my ground and I was just like, he was like, "You want equal like we we want respect, and I was like, "Okay, well, I also want respect, and I don't feel very respected when your finger is in my like face and when your fist is' in there and so you know, I just kind of like held my ground and then returned it, and then i turned uh, turned around and seeing like you guys just like in the car in the car <laughs> I was like
4: and when we oh. were in the car, something that I think would be is cool to, for you to hear is that me and Nadia were like. Is been just so empowering right now? Like we, That's was, our little sister. Because I felt so just, I don't even want to use the word impressed. Just like it was really empowering for me to watch you kind of react in that way and see somebody, just anybody, but like, especially you have such a visual, like, fuck you. Like, this is my world too. Like, this is my life. You know, you're invited into my life. That being your reaction. Because I think for me and Nadia, but at least I know for me, my first- emotional reaction was oh my god what did I do wrong mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the wrong okay and then I was just going through my head and checking out like or just like giving up and being like okay this is a situation I'm submitting to the situation and I'm wrong and that is the way that the world is I
3: mean just bringing it back I was able to have this reaction and I feel like I was able to stand up and not be frozen because I don't really remember what happened like when I don't really up. remember what happened with our dad super early on because I was always in your arms or I was always just like you were always singing to me. And I remember growing up, you used to draw circles on my forehead to calm me down.
2: Because and I learned that someone <laughs> did that to a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like
3: you, there are all these things. Another calming thing like this, my childhood is Nadia drawing circles on my face or Amaya. Just well, I'm like, not
2: actually drawing with a pen. No, so not with like, it was fingers. like tracing with my finger on her forehead. Cause I learned that you do that to dogs to calm them down. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Or I would remember you would just pile coats on me like at night we wouldn't really know where our dad was and i would get really scared i didn't have my first sleepover until middle school because i didn't really know how to cope with the fear that i had at night without you and so like all these coping mechanisms my favorite one was you would just like pile coats on me like i don't know if you remember this but yeah. i do we would be sleeping on those stupid trundle pull out beds that our dad had like we each had two is she talking feet about musalamu and then, no, no, Nadia would literally, like, I would be so scared and not be able to sleep until 4 or 5 a.m., but I would always wake Nadia up, and she would take all of the coats that were in the coat closet and just put them on top of me.
2: It was like a weighted blanket. Yeah, it was like, like a weighted you know. blanket,
3: but, yeah.
2: Well, and I think that, you know, I, I mean, being disowned was awful, but in many ways, I think it was this moment where, I think we kind of moved past the sister dynamic of Nadia being a caretaker, Amaya also being this like personality, but also kind of feeling left out to I think me and Amaya realizing the trauma bond that we have, right? Like being these two older sisters and usually taking care of our little sister. But I think for me, that was really a moment where I s- not stopped, but I moved on from looking at you Isa, as like my baby sister and really saw you as like, this is a grown ass woman who is so strong and just protected the fuck out of us. And if Issa was not there when we were disowned, a man I probably would have just left and not even have a, had a conversation with our grandparents before we left.
3: Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save money on your insurance? and see all the ways you could save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save.
2: This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. I think most of us agree that in a functioning democracy, the winner should be determined by the voters. Well, that almost didn't happen in 2020. Now, extremists are working to intimidate and replace nonpartisan election workers with quote-unquote yes-men who might reject election results. The only thing that will stop them is us. We've partnered with the grassroots pro-democracy organization, Represent Us, to give you the tools you need to protect free and fair elections. Learn more and get involved. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. And I think for us, I remember, you know, and again, if you need context, go listen to the Disowned podcast episode. But like, I remember when a man and I went into the house and you and Agun were still on the porch and you were talking to him, we were eavesdropping like our ears next yeah. to the door. And we were just like, go Isa, go. Yes, Isa, like you yeah. were saying, I think all the things, and I get emotional thinking about it. You were saying all the things that I feel like we wish we had the guts to say, but I also feel like we wish we could have said to the first patriarch we ever kind of came across, which was our dad, right? Yeah. We never really got closure with our dad. We never got to stand up to him and say, here are all the things you did wrong and why you should be held accountable. We never had that conversation, right? And I think that for me, it was really healing to see the fact that we had gotten to a point where the youngest of us could stand up to that kind of mistreatment and tell him off and get him to back down and even apologize. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was so healing. And I think was a really, really big moment for our sisterhood and our friendship which is kind of crazy because it wasn't that long ago that was three two months ago right and so you know i think especially going back to this whole tiktok thing people are seeing these viral videos of us as sisters hanging out being best friends but being disowned was two months ago and then we started making tiktoks you know as these this kind of young friend group and it really has only been two months and i think that it's just a really big moment to celebrate too yeah which I think is really exciting, you know? Yeah, we
4: did celebrate.
2: I'm curious about how you think of our, like what, like our friendship versus friendships you have in other parts of your life. Like I don't have a lot of other friends, as y'all know. Like I'm such a homebody and introverted and I really only hang out with people that I work with. But I feel like, you know, for me, when I think of our relationship and what makes it special to me is that like one trust, like I don't trust a lot of people, whether it be because of my trauma or like social media, not giving me the best impression of people's intentions sometimes. Um, But really kind of working through that. But for me, it's like trust and I can talk to you all about a lot of things. You'll call me on my bullshit. And then also like, you know who I am outside of all of the work and like my professional work stuff. And I think with my other friends, what's interesting is like, with my other friends, I feel like it's almost like a break from my trauma in childhood because they don't know any of that. And it's just kind of like about having fun. But I do. I'm not saying that we don't have fun, but I feel like it's this added layer of you understand what I went through because you went through it, too. So I'm curious about how you think of our friendship versus friendships you have in other parts of your life.
3: I think about this a lot because I i, I just transferred to Catlin where you two went to high school. And so... Being the youngest, I have always had this kind of, oh, you're the third Okamoto. Oh, Okamoto, oh, you walk like your sisters. <laughs> like I've literally had I transferred to Catlin and this teacher came up to me and was like, Are you an Okamoto? You walk like a Maya. Like literally <laughs> That's not a good thing. People know <laughs> us so well. And especially with your social media following, and all of us are very vocal about our personal lives and like our social media accounts, there's so much information about all three of us that being the third has definitely been quite a struggle in terms of my social life, in terms of making friends because they want to be friends and not because they want to be on Instagram or because they want me to introduce, like introduce you, you know, things like that. Um, And so I've kind of had to learn how to have my own bullshit meter and like, you know, actually find ways to talk about you know, things that are real with other people outside of my family. And also I've been thinking a lot when we got Blue, our dog, we asked about getting another dog and how, you know, Blue came in a litter and we are like, well, what if we get two so that he's not lonely? We had to learn all about litter box syndrome and how you shouldn't get two dogs because then they'll get aggressive outside of their relationship as siblings because they come from a litter, and when they're outside of the litter, they don't know how to interact socially, and I think I have litter box syndrome to a degree, because just as we were talking about, my safe space is, like, with you two. Mm -hmm. Like, growing up, and even now after getting disowned, like, we know each other so well because of you know, the shit that we've been through. I mean, I know your triggers, you know my triggers. So like, that's how we kind of catch each other when we're crashing. Or, I mean, even yesterday we were out shopping and like, I saw that you two were fading. So we ran to a bakery and then I was kind of getting overwhelmed. So we stepped outside. Like, we just know each other so well that whenever we're doing anything, we just are able to now have fun and able to now have these deep conversations because we have that trust, like you were saying. Um, So I think for me, I'm still kind of learning how to interact socially with people that don't necessarily know that aspect of my life, but they do know that I have these traumas. And sometimes when they ask me about them or sometimes when they ask me, oh, you're the third Okamoto. Like it can be triggering sometimes the things that they bring up in our friendships outside of, you know, my family. Like if you're not a part of my family, like why are you asking about my sisters and why are you asking about my trauma? Like literally kids have come up to me being like, so what actually happened with your dad? Did you live under a box? Like, and Did then, you, live you know, a bit the in a disowned box. story came out. The disowned podcast came out. And I went to school. And I mean, everyone was like, you got disowned this weekend, right? But they yeah. didn't actually listen to your podcast. So I've got to be like, I'm going to listen to the podcast. I don't yeah. you know, like all these things. So I'm kind of having to learn, you know, to read people, you know, you know, intention and, and stuff like that, which has been kind of difficult, but
2: getting there. I mean, the literally the reason we're here in New York is because we were all, or me and Issa yeah. were going through a depressive episode <laughs> and not feeling like we had other friends to turn to and so we flew out to be in the yeah. same city so <laughs> yeah. yeah um codependent like I think a good amount of codependent <laughs> good, amount. A good you know, amount.
3: like we were really at rock bottom so we we're like okay time to go yeah like, Nadia
2: yeah <laughs> and I, I think mom saw that you were at rock bottom yeah, like in an emotional and so she we was like
3: literally I had to like skip school because I was having COVID symptoms and my symptoms were extreme depression and <laughs> extreme anxiety and my PCR test was negative and mom was like
4: um, maybe you're just maybe sad. You're just sad. Like, yeah. I don't, why don't we send? You? Like, yeah, sure, you can go to New York. And I was like, okay. <laughs> what about you, Amaya? Yeah. I mean, being with my sister is like a reboot. I don't think it's always yeah. it's always been like that. But my it's sister been the last is, two months. <laughs> huh? No, no. I mean, I think even before that, as much as there has been tension, whether it was good or bad, and you know, not good or bad, but um, being with my my nuclear family was always a reminder of who I am. Um, I am someone who I mean, we always make strokes like growing up, I was always like trying on clothes and trying on different characters, I would like go out into the world and I'd like try on an accent for a day and, and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that comes from a deep creativity, but also it comes from a very rooted from a lot of my, you know, trauma with my father, like, there's a deep insecurity and like people pleasing tendency there. um, And that, you know, manifested into an eating disorder later on. Um, which was very much characterized by constantly trying to please and trying to find an outlet for like myself when I was constantly trying to make everything okay for everyone. Um, The code switching thing is like, you know, eating disorder people might relate to this, but you're constantly trying to like change your body and change your actions and your mannerisms so that you can fit with other people and you feel accepted. Maybe that's related to being a middle child, but um, I, I definitely get Carried away with that, and I recognize it because if something, you know, I, I can be with a group of people and it's fine, and everyone's comfortable, and I'm joking and I'm making jokes, everyone's laughing, but something feels a little off. I know it's because I'm changing, maybe like even fundamental parts of myself and my personality, so that I can get along well with other people. And so, you know, I'll even like come to you know with Nadia and Issa and one of them will be like why are you doing that like why are you why are you saying it like yeah. why are you saying that like why are you dressing like that um and I'll like you know and it just remind it reminds me like my baseline um because I think oh, I have a, yeah because I think it's it's really easy for me to sway away from um a lot of the fundamental parts of myself if that makes sense it's kind of hard to explain
1: it's
3: really interesting hearing you talk about your other persona and how it correlates to your eating disorder because I grew up being so freaking annoyed by when we went out into public and you both you both especially when we were like at a dinner with a lot of food and which I've grown to be able to help you guys out with but I would be so annoyed because yeah you guys would just switch like, Amea, I was so confused. Amea would just turn on this persona of, like, like, like specifically a deeper voice. You would kind of hunch your back a little bit more. You would be a lot more, like, a lot louder, use a lot more hand gestures, giggle a lot When longer, we're out in public. When we're out in public. Mm. And Nadia would kind of just sit up straighter and be more direct and, you know, also be louder and all of these like little ticks that would just flip but you can roll that
4: back and be like okay where's that from right because that's something that you were annoyed by me and Nadia but so much of our early early I'm talking like preschool age early elementary school was like going out into New York City nightlife with our father and being like presented right and so we're constantly on a stage ever since we were little
2: well, I also think that at the same time, you know, we we had to start traveling back and forth um, between New York City and Portland, Oregon, at a really young age, Sorry. and um, at an age nine, seven, and four, five, and I think that the. the need to travel by ourselves when you're that young and how scared we were too yeah. um it made us like me and Amaya specifically i think code switch when we're alone or in public sometimes talk louder talk a little bit more formally Amea lowering her voice trying to pass us older trying, trying, to trying to pass, to pass us, us older. older and a lot of that was we weren't allowed to travel on our own in many ways but we had to because we didn't have parents to transport us meaning that we had to come off older than we were. Yeah. But I do think uh, you're totally right that I think that now sometimes like we regress when we hang out together. Like I definitely am a <laughs> lot more goofy and I can just like be a kid and I think that a lot of that is super healing because now I'm actually old. Like I'm turning 24, which is You're 24? I'm 24, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um and we just get to like have fun and be kids, which I feel like is super is super healing too, you know? Um, And yeah, I think that, you know, when I talked about being disowned a couple months ago on the podcast, I just wanted to share, like, this is the story of what happened. And I was also really inspired by how many people reached out to me after they listened to it saying, I was also disowned a lot of second generation Asian Americans. And I think that, you know, it's such an unfortunate experience, but in terms of our relationship, I do see that as being a really healing moment for us. You know, and yeah, it's just—it's so crazy to me that you're grown. Like, mom's about to be a fucking empty nester.
3: Yeah, hopefully.
2: How do you feel about that, Isa?
3: <laughs> hopefully, I get into college.
2: You're hopefully gonna get into be college an empty
3: next year. Um, I'm so excited. This is my fifth year of high school. Like, you okay? So I was here just a few days ago when I turned in my last application. When I turned in my last science final, when I turned in my last assignments of being a first semester senior, and I literally cried. Yeah. I cried because this is such... This is my fifth year of high school. I'm so done with high school. Like, you guys know that it took me... a Like, I've changed so much throughout my five years just because I had to transfer schools. We went through the whole CARES process right before I went into high school, so my whole healing process has been Mm -hmm. high school. So, I just... I'm so excited to be done. I can't even talk about it. Like, yeah. And so. we're
2: really hoping you go to school in New York. Or I am. I'm
4: really hoping you go to school in New York.
2: I'm biased, though. I
4: will have extreme FOMO, but.
2: You'll move. How many? You only have one more year. Year and a half. Okay. I mean, it has a year and a half in Chicago.
4: Or t- yeah, a, year and a half. also personally,
3: I used to hate New York because the only New York that I knew was with dad. Yeah. The only New York I knew was, yeah, always being on a on a stage presenting and like, you know, presenting to be the youngest daughter and like, you know, when we were doing ice installations and stuff like that. It was also Queens. Yeah. It was also Queens. (laughs) Like we grew up in Queens. I like, I was only allowed to stay in Queens. So I hated New York. And I think no not time. because no, Queens no, is no, bad. No, no, no not because Queens is bad. Just because I wasn't allowed to go anywhere else. Yeah. Like I was stuck in literally a concrete box because our, our dad ran an ice sculpture studio where I was cutting cubes eight hours a day, cutting cubes literally in a in a, a walk-in freezer with these massive blades running. And I was like, this was my age, like four to what, middle school, eighth I grade? Was Sixteen. 12. So. Yeah. So all all week every time i was in summer or every time i came to new york i was either cutting cubes i was cleaning mold out of you know the offices i was doing all of this shit for We our were basically fathers.
2: put to manual labor for every like time like 2 dollars yeah,
3: an hour what was it like 1 dollar above our age or something like that No it
2: was like our our, our age grade. minus our grade
3: Yeah so like i was literally working for like two like i hated new york so i think yeah. just coming back and being with you guys you know exploring, doing, you know, like you just said, doing these adult things that we dreamed we could do when we were younger has been extremely healing for me. And especially just going through this college process of applying to schools in New York has just really kind of put a reset on that idea of the patriarchal system that we grew up in and my idea of my childhood and relationship with New York specifically. And I think that all of the work that we've done to get to this point and like just everything that we've done since getting disowned has been why I'm able to be like that youngest who has the reaction to like Mm -hmm. stand up to men who yell at us. Like all of these things combined and just like our personal healing processes like flipped around.
2: Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Proud of you both. Love you. Love you. Love you. (laughs) Love you. Um, I love you both so much, and I'm really proud of how our relationship has grown. Still, when I hear both of you talk like in this eloquent, deep, emotional way, I get so like the proud big sister in me because I think that when we are not in front of a microphone in studios, we're just goofy, and we make a lot of TikToks, and then we get to have these deep conversations, and it's so beautiful. Um, But yeah, I'm just so proud of you. And I hope for those of you who are listening, this was just kind of an opportunity to get to know us a little bit more. Um, And I also think we wanted to do this episode as a way to kind of give you a real look into what it's like behind the scenes of the happy, fun TikToks that we make and what a journey it's been to get to where we are today. Um, and yeah, I know we talked a lot about, uh, you know, referencing background information about being disowned and stuff we went through when we were younger, all of which we've covered in the podcast, uh, in earlier episodes. So I hope you keep listening. Um, and we're back here every single Wednesday and we want to hear from y'all. Like, let us know what this episode prompts for you in terms of reflections. If you have sisters or siblings and what your relationship is like with them, being friends with your siblings, message us on social, Social media. I'm at Nadia Komodo. My sisters are at Amayo Komodo, Iso Komodo, and that will all be linked in our um, description. And we will see you next week. Bye, y'all.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.